those of you guys who have not been with us, we walked through the book of Exodus um, over the last two years. We took a hundred messages and we walked through the book of Exodus. And then we moved on from Exodus, we moved on to the book of Joshua. And this Joshua study is called A Life Lived for God. And what we're doing is walking step by step through Joshua. Last week, what was interesting is we actually were in a message which was called I Will Be With Thee. And this was Joshua chapter number 3, verses 6 through 8. And in those verses, what we saw was the fact that what God's doing at this point in time is He's taking the people and He's kind of coalescing them around Joshua, the leader, and the Levitical priesthood. Okay, So we saw the responsibilities kind of shifting onto the priests, and that's where the focus was. And last week what we saw was, first of all, the motivation of the priests. We saw that they had, first of all, their motivation was in two different forms. They had an external motivation, right, which was, this was Joshua. This is Joshua speaking into their lives, trying to give them, hey, motivation, trying to give them instructions on what to do and when they should do it. We looked at the fact that as he was doing this, he was giving directives that weren't just simply from him. He was actually working as a representative of the Lord to give them truths. And what was interesting and what's wonderful about it is the fact that when you receive information from a leader that you trust, what it does is it takes away all of the second-guessing all the misgivings, right? Instead of trusting something that we uh, are maybe listening and not trusting, but when we have trust and we have faith, what it does is allows us to go from hearing an external motivator, it allows it then to shift into our hearts, and we can then trust it, and it becomes an, ex- or an, uh, an external, it becomes an internal. So what we've heard, because we trust it, then sinks in, and it goes from being an external motivation to being an internal motivation that takes us to action where we're willing to do something about what it is that we've heard. And that's the thing we looked at was that second aspect was the the internal. And here what it is, is what's happened. They've received from Joshua. Now they're trusting him. They're trusting the source of the information. They're trusting the fact that it all comes from the Lord. And that internal motivator, now it allows them to take what it is they've heard and they've now actually doing something with it as they listen and respond to Joshua's call. And then we looked at the exaltation of Joshua. This is where God informs Joshua and says, guess what? The people, they've been listening to you, but I'm getting ready to lift you up in their eyes. I'm getting ready to exalt you in the eyes of the Israelites. And what's happening here is the fact that Joshua's going, oh my goodness, I'm going to have full support of the people. Before he had their support in word, but now he's getting ready to have their support in deed. They're actually going to give him their hearts. They're going to be fully entrusting in him. And what Joshua's trying to do is unify the people. So he's unifying them as they're going to go against their enemies. They're going to face off against those that have usurped their land. And that brought us to that last aspect, which was the expectations of God. The expectations of God. And what God's expectations were of this. He said, look, I've given you the truth. I've given you a leader. My expectation is that you're going to follow through. Joshua, you're going to do your job. The folks, you're going to do your job. You're going to accomplish my will by simply doing what it is that I've asked you to do. But at the same time, what was cool about it is God actually gave the people what their expectations should be of him. Because what did he do? He promised them that he would be with them. Right? He said, I will be with thee. No matter where you go, no matter how scary it may be, no matter how overwhelming the situation, you need not worry because guess what? I'm going to be there with you. And the great thing is that our Lord, He gave us the same assurance. He gave us the same, the same truth. Before He ascended in Matthew 28, we saw there in Matthew 28, verses 19 through 20, He says, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, right? Even unto the end of the world. Amen. And it's with that confidence of God's presence that you and I can face what this life has to bring to us. Because life is not always easy. Can we all agree to that? 
There are some days that are peachy keen, rainbows and puppies. And there's other days that are dark and dank and scary and overwhelming and, and can be heartbreaking. But we have that same confidence of God's presence with us that the Israelites received. And what we see is, as they're getting ready to do what their parents viewed to be impossible, which is enter into the promised land, as they're getting ready to do that, what's happening now is they're unifying, Joshua's unifying them and focusing their hearts and their minds and their, and their wills upon accomplishing what God wants them to accomplish. And this message today is called Without Fail. We're going to be in Joshua chapter 3, verses 9 through 11. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for today, God, for giving us the time when we can gather, Lord, as a body, that we can hear from you, Lord. I do pray, God, that you know, you know that I've studied, I've prayed, I have sought your face in this scripture, Lord. I have walked through this, uh, through this week, Lord, studying. And uh, God, you know my desire is not to hear from me. Uh, my desire, Lord, is that I would disappear. Uh, that the message today would come directly from you, Lord. That your spirit would take hold of this message, Lord Jesus. That we will hear from you, Father God, that you will be exalted. And Lord, if you can remove the human element and make me disappear, I sure would appreciate it. Thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Joshua 3, verses 9 through 11, it says this, And Joshua said unto the children of Israel, Come hither, and hear the words of the Lord your God. And Joshua said, Hereby you shall know that the living God is among you, and that he will without fail drive out from before you the Canaanites, and the Hittites, and the Hivites, and the Perizzites, and the Girgashites, and the Amorites, and the Jebusites, and the Mosquito Bites, and everybody else, right? He's getting everybody out of there. Behold, verse 11, Behold, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth passeth over before you into Jordan. So here we see they are standing at the brink of the Jordan River. Imagine this. This entire massive body of people are standing at the brink of the Jordan. They're looking across the Jordan. The Jordan's only a couple hundred feet across. So they can clearly see the promised land. They can see in the distance the mountain that's just away from them. That, at the top of that, they can see the mountain. At the base of that mountain is where Jericho sits. This city, this hostile city where they know they're going. They know there's fortifications. There's no, there's a walled city ahead of them. So here they are. They're focused on that. And what's fine is here, Joshua's pinpointing their attention. He's gathering them for the purpose of saying, look, I need you to focus on the one thing that's important. God. I need you to focus on Him. This is not about where we're going. This is not about what's waiting upon us. There's none of that stuff. What is relevant, what's important, is the fact that our attention and focus is upon the Lord at this time. And what we see, first of all, is Joshua's, with Joshua is the beckoning of the people. Number one, the beckoning of the people. Verse 9 says this, And Joshua said unto the children of Israel, Come hither. Come hither. He's saying, come close. Gather around. Come here to hear. Right? He wants to unite their hearts but at the same time, as we're going to soon see, he wants to unite their understanding of the Lord. He's trying to bring them to a point in time where they're going to put their trust and faith fully in the Lord and what he has intended for them. Interesting enough, this, this command is not for Joshua's sake. It's not for the sake for him to see the people. It's actually for them. He's calling them for the purpose that they might hear the truth with their own ears. He wants them to have direct information, not hearsay. Not what someone tells them that they heard, but what they actually heard. And this is always God's intention. God wants us to hear the truth. He wants humanity to hear the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. Right? He wants us to know what's going on. And if they will respond to what they hear, well, if they'll respond, great. But if they won't respond, if they won't hear, if they don't come with the right heart, what happens is they don't get to hear the truth. And what happens is, see, all throughout time, God has been beckoning humanity. 
from the very beginning, He's been beckoning humanity, trying to draw us closer to Him, wanting us to be close to Him. Not only to be close to Him, to have an intimate closeness, but to know Him, the Bible says. To know Him. Now, it's not to know of Him. There's a lot of people you can meet that are theologians that know of Him. They can tell you all about God. But their walk with God is vacant and dead. To know Him is to mean you have a relationship with Him. Right? I, I know my wife because we have an intimate relationship. We communicate. I know about her because guess what? I desire to know everything that she has to share. I listen. I have ears to hear. My heart's broken for what breaks her heart. That's God. And we have people that have a superficial relationship with God because they go to church, because they read their Bible, and they pray a little bit, but their relationship with God is hollow. They don't feel the intimacy with Him. They're not heartbroken over what breaks God's heart. Listen to this. I'm going to read you this in Proverbs 1, 23-33. And listen to God's heart in this proverb. Turn you at my reproof. Behold, I will pour out my spirit unto you. I will make known my words unto you. He says, listen, I want you to know me. I want you to know what I love. I want you to know what I hate. I want you to have a heart that's like mine. I want to be close to you. Verse 24. Because I have called and you refused. I have stretched out my hand and no man regarded. But you have said it not all my counsel. You turn your back on what I try to counsel you on. I would none of my reproof. You don't listen to it. I'm trying to correct your life. Also, will, He said, I also will laugh at your calamity and will mock when, you, when your fear cometh. God says, you know what? When you are in trouble and you want me to be there, guess what? I won't be. Verse 27, when your fear cometh as desolation and your destruction cometh as a whirlwind, when distress and anguish cometh upon you, then shall ye call upon me, and, but I will not answer. But, and they shall seek me early, but they shall not find me. For they that hated knowledge did not choose the fear of the Lord. There will come a day and time when people have turned their back on God long enough that the age of grace will come to an end. And guess what? It will be a time of judgment. Judgment was going to come upon this earth. That's not the time we're in right now, praise the Lord. God is still trying to develop a relationship with people. There are people watching this online right now that do not know God. And I'm just telling you, He's calling your heart. He's trying to draw you close to Him. For they that hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord, they would none of my counsel. They despised all my reproof. Therefore shall they eat of the fruit of their own way and be filled with their own devices. For the turning away of the simple shall slay them and the prosperity of fools shall destroy them. Verse 33. But whoso hearkeneth unto me shall dwell safely and shall be quiet from fear of evil. Amen. If you will listen... If you allow me to establish the intimacy with you that I'm trying to, guess what? The fear that you live with in life, it will not be an issue. What I will do, I will quiet you from fear of evil. I will give you a relationship with me that will be fulfilling. He says, man, please come to me. I want you to know me because guess what? I know you. I created you. I know your fears. I know your doubts. I know your pains. I know your suffering. I want you to know me. And the thing is, God's given us a way to know Him. He's given us a way to know Him, to truly know Him. Not know of Him, but know His heart. God's given us His heart. Listen to what Joshua, uh, listen to what our Lord, our Joshua, 
stated. Because if, and to get, make this clear, the Lord Jesus Christ is pictured in Joshua. The, the, the name Joshua is translated, actually, Jesus. He is a picture, a personification of Christ in the book of Joshua. Matthew eleven twenty eight. our Jesus says this, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest. Notice the same, you shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And then we may do this at some level while we're on earth. We may do this at some point. There's only one place where we're actually going to really do this right. Yeah. There's only one place when we're going to finally know the Lord the way He wants us to know Him. And it's not going to be on this planet. And that points to the not-too-distant future for all of us. Because there's coming a time. Now, what's going to happen is I'm going to read you a scripture. Now, in this scripture, John, the Apostle John in the book of Revelation, John is a picture of the church. And we're going to see here in Revelations 4, you're going to see in Revelations 4.1, there's something called the rapture. And the rapture is a biblical, it's not a biblical word, but it's actually translated from the fact it means to be called up. To be called up. In Revelation 4.1 it says this, After this I looked, and behold, a door was opened in heaven, and the first voice which I heard was as it were of a trumpet walking with me. Remember what Joshua said? He said, Come hither. Notice what it says here. He said, Come up hither, and I will show thee things which must be hereafter. He says, Come up hither. So it's no longer come this way. It's come this way. How cool is that? Let's get practice, man. <laughs> Soon enough, that's going to be the reality. So what happens? In, the, in, the, in literally, in the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, what's going to happen is the very thing that God's desiring. There's going to be a time when, guess what? No matter how well we did with it here, there's going to come a time when we will stand before the Lord and finally be in the presence of God, and we're going to have that kind of intimacy and that kind of knowledge of God. Man, praise the Lord. And if you're a child of God, that is your future. Praise God. Praise God. But until then, we need to be desiring to know more, to try to have that established relationship with God. So first we've seen the beckoning of Joshua unto the people. And the purpose of that beckoning was to inform the people. Verse 9 continues, Come hither and hear the words of the Lord your God. Come hither and hear the words of the Lord your God. Okay. Now, by their coming, what they're doing is they're indicating that they have ears to hear. They want to hear what Joshua has to say. But what's important here is the fact that they're not just coming for what Joshua has to say. Okay. Notice what it said. And hear the words of the Lord your God. Okay. So when you come here week after week and you listen to me preach, I pray that you're not coming to hear from me. That's not what this is about. I don't even care what I have to say. It is irrelevant, right? We need to have a heart to go, you know what? I'm coming that the Word of God may be proclaimed so that we hear the truth of God's Word. Right? If it ever shifts from being God's Word to the pastor's Word, y'all need to roll out of here. I need to be standing by myself because this is not about me. I have no insight for you. I'm going to give you my great wisdom. Man, run. <laughs> I have no great wisdom. Human insight, human understanding will not get us closer to God. It is our surrender to the Word of God and allowing it to be our guide is what draws us to Him. We've got to be conscious of that. Remember, in Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, it says, Come unto me, unto the Lord, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. Learn of God. Not learn about what the pastor has to say. For I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. Praise God. And man, if we'll do that, if we'll do what He tells us, we can experience that. We can stop battling the flesh and dealing with what life has to offer. So many people are just trying to survive this life. 
That's not what it's about. It's not just about surviving this life. We're supposed to thrive. We're supposed to experience peace in the midst of the storm. That's what we hear time and time and time again. That example is given to us over and over and over again. What did, John, what did God tell us through John in, in John 14, 27? Jesus said this, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth. Give, it says, Give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. We see the fear issue again. He says, look, peace. I'm going to bring you peace. I'm going to give you peace. If we hear the words of our Lord, man, they should comfort us. Yes, and we hear that and we go, man, amen. Dude, peace, absolutely. I'm all about it. And I love to hear him telling you that. But how do I get it exactly. You know what I'm saying? Because my life is anything but peaceful right now. Whoever's dealt with some strife in your day-to-day life? Yeah. It's sometimes very hard to find peace. And he says, I'm going to give you peace. I leave you peace. Like we're just going to walk in. Oh, there's the peace. Good. Great. I've <laughs> been looking for that all day. Perfect. doesn't work like that. How do we allow it to, to take hold? What does he say in that verse? He says, take my yoke upon you. Take my yoke upon you. And we hear that and we go, well, I'm not sure what that means. If you ever been to Cracker Barrel, if you don't know what a yoke is, at Cracker Barrel they have these big leather things that shape kind of like a U. Okay? That's what you put onto an animal if you're going to put a load. If it's going to pull a cart, they take the yoke, they put it like this, and they hook two, two uh, sticks to it, and he's going to pull the load. So the yoke is the thing that connects them to their work. Right? So he says, take my yoke upon you. What's his yoke? Well, if we find out scripturally, you and I have a yoke as well. We're born with it. Our yoke is sin. Our yoke is sin. His yoke is righteousness. He's saying, take my yoke upon you. What happened when you received the Lord Jesus Christ is he took your yoke. Yes. Right? Off of him, off of you. He put your work, your labor, your burden on himself. And he took his yoke of righteousness. And undeserving as we are, he slipped it over our neck. We're not righteous because of who we are. We're righteous because of who he is. Second Corinthians 5.21 says this, For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. And we see that word might in there. Might. That you might be made the righteousness of God. You know what that saying is? You know what? There are people that will refuse the, the offer of salvation. There are people that are going to turn their back as God died for them on the cross. And he said, Father, forgive them not for nothing. They're not what they do. As he loves them, they're going to turn their back on him. You know what? That's just what's going to happen. That's the reality of things. Some people receive the truth and others will reject it. But it also was referring to the fact that as believers, we get to choose every day. Yeah. Will we walk in righteousness or we walk in our flesh? Why is that, why is that constantly? We see in Galatians 5, 16, it says, Walk in the Spirit and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. He said, look, surrender to God and walk in His will and way. Mm-hmm. So understand, you and I have a choice. We can choose to trust the Lord. We can seek righteousness and we can find to walk by faith. Because the byproduct of righteousness is peace. Amen. Isaiah, listen to this, Isaiah 32, 17. And the work of righteousness shall be peace. And the effect of righteousness, what's the effect? Quietness and assurance forever. Amen. Ultimate peace. 
righteousness, seeking holiness, our life being a picture of the Lord. Remember the breastplate of righteousness. righteousness. What does it do? It protects our, our heart, the life we live, the things we expose ourselves to. That breastplate of righteousness, when we live a righteous life, we protect our hearts from all the garbage that this world wants to infuse into us. So if we have ears to hear, we allow God to speak to our hearts and settle our hearts. This is the beautiful thing. We can experience peace in moments of intense tension and stress. We can be at a place where we can find peace. And not only will we gain peace, but we gain something else. Number three, the confidence of the people. The confidence of the people. Verse 10 says this, And Joshua said, Hereby ye shall know that the living God is among you. Hereby ye shall know that the living God is among you. Confidence, confidence. Listen, man. He says, hereby, based upon what I've just, what you've heard from God, based upon the word of God, hereby ye shall know. It doesn't say hope. No, it says, ye shall know. You shall be informed. And that little phrase, it made me think of 1 John 2, or 1 John 5, 13. That ye may know, right? That ye may know. Listen, it's 1 John 5, 13. The Apostle Paul, the Apostle John says this, These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life. He says, These things have I written unto you. He says, Look, if you want to know the book of 1 John, guess why I wrote it? Guess why? God used me to write that book so that you can have knowledge of the fact that you are a child of God. And then nothing can change that. It's for our confidence. And then you may believe on the name of the Son of God. The one thing, there's one thing that we can absolutely have confidence in. It's not a person. It's not a place. It's not a time. It's this book. We can have absolute confidence in only one thing. You realize that on the earth, there is one thing that was created that is eternal, that we can touch and feel and experience every day. God's Word. He promised He would preserve it, and He has preserved it for all time. In this aspect of this, we think about the confidence we have in Him. And what's so beautiful about that is the fact that when we learn about Him is the fact that He loves us, right? God loves us. He cares about us. That He listens to us. And then actually He will intervene on our behalf. How many of us can look back in our lives and see where God intervened? Yeah. Things should have gone a totally different direction. But God, but God by His grace intervened in our life. And we can look back and go, man, Wow. How crazy is that? And I was in the middle of that, and yet He cared for me then? Unbelievable. Grace, long-suffering of God. Which brings us to number four, the assurance of the people. Verse 10. And that He will without fail drive out from before you the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Hivites and the Perizzites and the Girgashites and the Amorites and the Jebusites. And what we see here is the fact that God is actually pointing to that first John verse we just read in 5.14. It says, and this is the confidence, or we didn't read, but in first John it says this, and this is the confidence that we have in him, okay? That if we ask anything according to his his will, he heareth us. So we have this confidence that God, if he, you know, if we ask according to his will, that he hears. He hears and it means something to him. He's going to respond to it. And we know that it's God's will. That they're at the border of the promised land. Yeah. We know it's God's will that they're getting ready to go in and they're getting ready to face off against these people that have usurped their property, their land. The promise that was given to them is 685 years before the time we are in Joshua right now. That's when Abraham received that promise from God, the Abrahamic covenant. And what we find is that covenant is just as valid today as it was back then with Joshua. 
God's desire is the fact that they're going to take possession of this land from their occupiers. And when that, and this happens, as they do so, I want you to keep in mind the fact back in our study of Exodus, one of the things that we established was the fact that not only is Joshua a picture of Jesus as we move to Joshua, but the Israelites, they're a picture of the individual believer. We can plug into Scripture and see ourselves in the Israelites over and over and over again. And they're described as stiff-necked. Hello. That's us. Everybody's like, man. Yes, us. We're all in the same boat. We're all stiff-necked. But what's really cool about this is what, as we see, these Israelites are pictured in us. What's neat is as they're going to get ready to go into the land, what's nice is the fact that they have some certain confidence, some certain things that they have great knowledge of. Okay? There's three different things they're going to know. First of all, that they are where they're supposed to be. They're exactly where God intended for them to be. Secondly, they understand the fact that God's going to stand with them against their enemies. Okay? And then thirdly, they've been promised the victory. God's already promised them the victory. He said that He will without fail deliver the land. And can I just tell you, listen, if, we're, if we are where we are supposed to be in Christ, and we will stand with God against our enemies, God has promised us the victory. You have enemies in this life. Many times they're in here. Or they're in here. And God's saying, you know what? You can face off against them. And I can promise you victory. Because if you'll face those enemies with me, and you'll be where you're supposed to be in Christ, then I will bring the victory. And what happens here is, as, as, as Paul, I'm going to share with you, Paul actually addresses the enemies that we deal with. Okay, so we have the Israelite enemies, and then we have... Our enemies in the church age. Who do we deal with? Now, each one of these, even though they're not going to be people, they are just as real and they are just as dangerous as a people group. In Romans 8, verses 35 through 39, we're going to be in 35 and 36 right now. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Okay? We talk about the abundant Christian life, right? What is the promised land for us? It is the love of Christ. It's that close, intimate walk with God, okay? So who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. We're to die to self. We're supposed to be a living sacrifice, holy, uh, holy and acceptable unto God, which is our reasonable service, right? Now here, what's interesting about it is I want you to see how many of these enemies there are. Let's count them. Tribulation, distress. I wish I could do that. You ever, who can do the thing with your finger? I cannot do that with the three fingers. I have to always do this. So when I was in Cub Scouts, they were like, do this Cub Scout thing. I'm like... Okie doke. <laughs> Side note. Tribulation, distress, persecutions, famine, nakedness, peril, sword. There are seven enemies listed here. I want you to notice the first one is tribulation. Okay? Tribulation. What's interesting about that is they're all tribulations. Right? Tribulation is kind of like a title point, and then these others are all encompassed in it. Now, at the same time, let's go back and look at the, the enemies of the Israelites. It says, Canaanites, Hittites, Hivites, Perizzites, Girgashites, Amorites, Jebusites. There are seven. It's interesting. The very first one. You see what it says? Canaanite? Do you realize that all six of the other ones, they all live in Canaan? Those are all tribulations. They're all Canaanites, but they have individual titles. 
Now, each one would have their own culture, their own particular strengths, and their own fighting style. They're like individual provinces or like states, right? So we think about the United States. I think there's a little bit of a difference between, let's say, Louisiana and New York. Can we all agree? They have different strengths, different personalities, different accents, right? But if someone attacks the United States, what happens? They unite and they fight as one, right? So here we're seeing that this, these, this fight is going to be against a unified body. But the whole thing is, they have their own individual traits and their own individual identity. And in comparison, guess what? For you and I, in our Christian walk, yes, they are all tribulations. And guess what? They're all destructive. But they also have their own individual strengths and methods of attack. Because let me just tell you, dealing with distress, emotional struggles, is different than persecution. It's different. They're both hard, but they're different. And if they're going to have to have a, a sort of a customized uh, defense against each one of the ones they're going to face, at least they're thinking that way, we think, well, I've got to deal with this a certain way, and I've got to deal with this a certain way. But what's really awesome is the fact that God says, no, same way for everybody. Your tactic is always the same. As we continue in Romans, now picking back up in verse 37, with what Paul was telling us, he just listed the issues that we struggle with. He says this in verse 37, Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us, through the Lord. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor death, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Our victory is in the Lord. It is always the same thing. I don't need to come up with a customized attack to deal with distress or persecution or whatever it is. Whatever thing that comes against me, it's always the same solution. We turn to the Lord. God is the answer to the problem. No matter what strength it may possess or what it may bring to hand, bring to hand we always have the same answer. Listen, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. You guys know this verse. It says, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lead not unto thine own understanding. But in all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. He will direct thy paths. He will lead us. Which brings us to our last point. The leading of God. The leading of God. Verse 11. Behold, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth passeth over before you into Jordan. So he's saying, look, no matter how strong they may be, no matter how outnumbered you might feel, don't worry. Remember who I am. Right? Remember what it said right there? The Lord of all the earth. Amen. He says, look, the sovereign God, almighty God of the universe, guess what? He's there. He's pictured in the ark, which is what's going to lead them. So here he said, look, you know what? Not only am I giving you a promise of victory, but I'm giving you a promise of my presence. And not only will I be with you, not only will my presence be there, but on top of that, I'm going to actually lead you. Listen to that. He's going to lead them. Behold, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth passeth over before you into Jordan. Okay? Now, did you catch there? Week after week after week, I keep pointing out the fact that in your King James Bible it says, pass over. Here it says, passeth over. Again and again and again, we keep seeing that Passover, Passover, Passover. We understand that the Passover is a picture of the Passover lamb, the lamb of God that cometh to take away the sins of the world, a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ, His blood being given for the souls of men to, to protect them from destruction, the judgment of God which took place in, the, in Egypt. It is pictured in our Lord. And here we have, guess what? 
the same thing is happening with this resurrection power that was used in the Lord Jesus Christ through the Passover picture. The resurrection that took place at the tomb. That same power is the very same power that resurrects us spiritually and takes you from a dead spirit to a living spirit and soul. And we look at this. We go, man, is that true? Is that really what happens? Listen, jumping back into chapter 8, verse 29 in Romans. For whom he did foreknow, he did also, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son. Okay? That's not talking about salvation. That's talking about the fact that when you are saved, guess what? You're supposed to be conformed to the image of his son. You should live a life that reflects the Lord Jesus Christ. You are to be a Christian, Christ-like, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. What he's referencing is the resurrection power that took place at the tomb. That was the very first time the Holy Spirit of God came in and made that resurrection power come to earth. And it really happened right there. And when you and I get saved, guess what? The same resurrection power, the same Spirit that brought Him to life lifts you spiritually. The Bible uses the term quickened. It brings us alive. The very same thing. So he's saying He's the firstborn among many brethren. Us that followed when we baptized, like we did last week, the two that were baptized last week, buried in the likeness of His death, raised to walk in the newness of life. Baptism has nothing to do with your salvation, but it is a public profession, a picture, a physical representation of what's happened. We were physically, we were spiritually dead. We go under the water just like Jesus was buried, and we're resurrected spiritually alive through the power of the Spirit of God. Hope y'all are enjoying this because I'm loving it. So I don't care if y'all can be here by myself. I'll be having a good time. <laughs> Romans 8, 11. Check this out. But if the Spirit of Him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, He that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by His Spirit that dwelleth in you. Amen. Guess what? He goes before us. The firstborn of many brethren. He leads us. Just as He did their parents. Remember? The Israelites are a picture of us. Mm -hmm. And back there in the wilderness, Exodus 13, 21, And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of a cloud to lead them the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light to go by day and night. And there's this wonderful assurance of this news that they would have received, man. <sighs> oh, not only is He with us, and we can see Him, but man, He's actually showing us which way to go. We just need to trust Him and follow Him. Right. That's the beautiful thing about this. And it's the same thing for these children. Their children. He's saying, look, now you guys set your eyes on the, on the, on the, on the ark. Because the ark is going to be the thing that you're going to follow. Before it was that pillar of fire, but now it's the ark. And what we see is the fact that God is doing everything He possibly can to, to help them succeed. He's paving the way. He says, I'll be with you. I'll tell you what to do. I'll tell you where to go. And I'll actually lead you in the process. And it made me think about this when we teach a child to walk, right? Parents, when we teach our child to walk the very first time. And we're like trying to get them to stand up. And here we are, man. We're putting time and energy into it. Now, do we make sure that the path in front of them is clear? No, we don't sprinkle out a bunch of Legos. No. All right, we clear the path. 
We make sure they got some little shoes on that are nice and flat and firm, right? We make sure that, 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 that there's nothing around that's going to mess them up. The dog's put away. Right, okay. Come on, Billy. This is our time, buddy. Come on, you can do this. Oh, come on, Billy. Come on, Billy. All right? And we hold his hands and we walk with Billy. We just want to see him do it on his own. What's our goal? Our goal is that Billy becomes successful at walking. Is that not our goal? Right. Our Heavenly Father wants us to be successful in our walk with, with God. Every day is a challenge. There'll be obstacles in the way. And if you're not good at walking, guess what you do? You'll constantly fall down and fall down and fall down and fall down and fall down. And what happens here is we do it because we love our child and we want to see them successful. God does what he does because he loves us. He wants to see us successful. So that it, What's amazing about it is, let's say if our child, we, we, uh, we're terrible at teaching them how to walk. Let's say that when they walk, they walk like this. They just, I mean, they just walk like a crazy person. Nothing wrong with them. We just didn't know how to teach them how to walk. How does it reflect on us? Not a good parent. Their bad walk reflects on us. So guess what, you and I? Guess what our bad walk with God? What does it reflect on? On our Father. Has He not paved the way? Has He not cleared the road? Has He not put firm shoes on our ground, on our feet? Has He not told us everything we need? Yeah. yeah, we stumble and fall, and we stumble and fall, and we stumble and fall. And you know what? There are children, man, maybe, that are so disobedient, they go, you know what, I don't want to walk. I'm just going to crawl. Yeah, you gave me the Word of God, but you know what? I'm not good at reading. So I'm not going to spend much time in it. I know you gave me the gift of prayer, and your ears always ready to hear. I don't feel like praying. I know you provided me a church. It's inconvenient to go. And here we are, man. We're crawling through life, not because we're not given every opportunity to succeed, but because we're disobedient. Right. Right? And there's so many people. And that's the reality for them. Yeah. And one of the hardest things about doing what I get to do is trying to help people do what God's called them to do mm-hmm. and watch them consciously choose not to. Yeah, yeah. It breaks your heart yeah. to have somebody you pour your life into and have them just yeah. give up, go back to their flesh, whatever they choose. So if I'm compelling you and I'm I'm passionate about it, it's because I truly want to see you succeed in your walk. Because guess what? We can beckon them, inform them, give them confidence of our steadfast presence, walking with them, reassure them, and even lead them. And they still choose to crawl. In the end, the choice is theirs. They've got to decide. Understand, our Heavenly Father, He's beckoned us. John 6, 44. No man can come to me except the Father which hath sent me, draw him. And I will raise him up at the last day. He's informed us through His Word. 1 Timothy 2, 4 says this. Who will have all men to be saved and come unto the knowledge of the truth. He's given us the confidence of His presence in Matthew 28, 20. For He says, Lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. He's given us assurance of the victory. 1 Corinthians 15, 57. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory. How? Through our Lord Jesus Christ. The same way we fight every battle through Him. And last, His steadfast leadership. Guys, He's our good shepherd. That's what He calls Himself. He's our good shepherd. Psalm 23, verses 1-3. through The Lord is my shepherd. 
I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters, a place of peace. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for His name's sake. And we know, right, where those paths of righteousness take us. Right? What is the path of righteousness? Where does it lead? Isaiah 32, 17 taught us, And the work of righteousness shall be peace. And the effect of righteousness, quiet and assurance forever. Man, if this is where it is we're trying to get, if that's our goal, we've got to look at our life and say, you know, hey, am I, am I crawling in my walk with God? Because I'm disobedient? Because I'm full of myself and I cannot take my eyes off of what it is that I want to see what God's trying to call me to be? Or are we saying, hey, you know what? I'm going to faithfully follow the Lord. Because guess what? He is leading me in the path of righteousness. He's leading me in that path so we can experience the promised land, the abundant Christian life. Man, if that's our desire, we have to respond to His beckoning. Allow His Word to inform us. Stand confidently in His truth. Holding on to the assurance of His faithfulness. Because can I just tell you? Our Good Shepherd is absolutely going to lead us unto holiness without fail. That's always the route He's going. If we're not seeking righteousness, we're not seeking God. There's a constant fight every day when you wake up in the morning. Flesh and the Spirit. And the Bible says that the two are contrary, the one to the other, so you cannot do the things that you would. God would have us to be righteous. God would have us to be holy. God would have us to be an image of His Son. If we're not, it's not because He hasn't paved the way. It's not because He hasn't told us what to do. It's because we choose to disobey. Let's pray. Lord, we thank You for today, God, for giving us the amazing truths from the Word of God. Thank You for the book of Joshua and how it's been used in our lives. Lord, thank You for taking the message and Lord, using it for Your glory. God, I do pray that right now, with our heads bowed and with our eyes closed, if there's one here today that says, you know, Pastor, I, I don't know where I stand with God. I mean, I'm religious. I believe in God. I, I read the Bible. I even go to church. I do everything I'm supposed to do. But when it comes to that relationship with God you were talking about, that one of really knowing Him, I think I fall in the category of those that have a hollow relationship with God. I'm not where I need to be, but I want to be more. If that's your truth, the path is righteousness. There is no doubt. But if you're doing, you're struggling with that truth. You don't know where you stand. The good news is God's ready to restore you even as we speak. The long-suffering of God, the love of God, the patience of God, He's ready, willing, and able right now. So if you're here today and you say, you know what, hey, I've allowed things in my life that have, that have made me draw away from righteousness. I'm stuck in the world. But God, I don't want to be. Turn today. Make a choice today. You have to choose obedience. It's not up to God. He's calling you, I promise. And if you're here today and you say, you know, I don't know where I stand. In fact, I don't know if I'm saved. 
I thought I was saved, but I don't know. Maybe I'm just religious. The Lord Jesus Christ, He loves you right where you are. When He was on the cross, even after being tortured almost to death, He said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And with those loving eyes, He's looking at you right now in your broken condition, in your lost sinful condition, and He's saying, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And I love them right where they are. And if you're here today and you want to respond to His love, the Bible says, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Not might be saved, not could be saved. Promised. It will happen. If you've never received Christ as your Savior, you've been religious all your life, or you've believed in God, the devil believes in God, he's not going to heaven. But if you've never received him, you've never given him your heart, let me just tell you, he knows you. And if he's calling your heart right now, you know it. He's just simply asking you to respond. So their heads bowed and eyes closed. If you want to receive the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, I'm going to give you that chance right now. With their heads bowed and eyes closed. You can pray this in your heart and mind. If you're online, you can pray it out loud. But this is not a religious uh, ceremony. This is not a magic prayer. This is a broken heart turning to God and Him receiving you. So their heads bowed and eyes closed. Repeat after me in your heart and mind. And you can choose to receive Christ right now. Repeat after me. Dear Lord, I know that I'm a sinner. And I am so sorry for the way that I failed you and myself. I'm asking you to forgive me. Lord, would you come into my heart even now? Would you, Lord, come into my life, save my soul, and give me a home in heaven? Lord, I turn from my flesh, and Lord, I embrace your spirit. God, do a work in my life and use me for your glory. Thank you for saving me. I'll see you in heaven one day. In Jesus' name I pray and give thanks. Amen.